The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of Kevin Jordan or his guests. These gardening tips and suggestions may work for you, as well as those from alternative sources. When using any garden products or tools, read and follow all label directions. And learn how to make your yard summer strong at BeWaterSmart.info. The Green Acres Garden Podcast is the podcast dedicated to helping gardeners hone their growing skills while we celebrate our love of plants. So whether you're new to growing or a seasoned gardener, you're sure to learn something new. Join the fun as we have conversations with world-class growers, passionate green thumbs, and professional garden experts from Green Acres Nursery and Supply. Listen every week. We'll answer questions you didn't know you had. All right, stop. Grab a pencil and listen. Mr. J's back and I got a new lesson. Something fills your head with knowledge. Get you in the workforce, maybe even college. Can you grow plants though? You should know. Turn on the lights and they'll grow. To the extreme, I rock a shovel like a vandal. I garden with bees, I got some honey and a candle plants. Feed the flower, it blooms. Compost in your soil, makes your garden go boom, I'm friendly. I'm just like a honeybee. I'll waggle my thorax and I'll show you where the nectar be. Plow it, plant it, you better irrigate. You gotta fertilize cause the J don't wait. If there was a student, yo, I'll teach him. Check out the hook while my rhymes try to reach him. Learn, grow, daily. Well, all right. Welcome back, everybody. So glad you can make it to the show. This is, of course, the Green Acres Garden Podcast, the home for green thumbs and plant lovers alike. I am your host, Kevin Jordan, the Cosmic Kid. We're going intergalactic this week because we are running wild with the Cosmic Wild Boar himself, Brad Gates. He's slim, he's trim, and he's a (laughs) he's he's lean, he's mean, he's a tomato growing machine, and we've got him mic'd up. Uh, just like a football player in a game or an athlete, we, we, we had an opportunity, Austin, yep. to get our hands on Brad Gates. Um, you've heard of Lord of, the, or Lord of the Dance? Yeah, I have. Oh, yeah, that, that guy can move. Well, this week we got Lord of the Plants. Ooh. Uh, Brad Gates has been um, instrumental, I think, uh, in just totally changing the trajectory of the tomato world, uh, at least in our region. And he's a breeder, he's a grower, a farmer. He has a, a long past uh, of cultivating some of the most delicious, vibrant, incredible tomato varieties, and they're all bred by him. These hybrids and crossbreeds he's been working on, new cultivars all the time. Um, he's got plenty of them on the market already, more that are on the way. So this is a person that you definitely want to listen to when it comes to tomatoes. And of course, our listeners know tomatoes are the royalty of the of the summer yeah. veggie garden. And I know the calendar might not show it, but it's creeping up. It's, om- it's almost tomato time. And like I said, we got so lucky, Austin, uh, because we found out Brad Gates was going to be doing some tomato talks at some of the nurseries. We decided to throw a mic on him, which I appreciate you doing oh, that. Oh, yeah. We, we, we ran out there to go catch him. So Brad's in town. Oh, Brad's yeah. talking at Green Acres. So we ran over there. We mic'd him up. And he had uh, like an hour-long presentation uh, for the public. Anyone could come in there. and Does it? We, They had well over 60 people at the one that like we did. All the seats were full. It was very, very cool. And I didn't even know about this ahead of time. So I'm glad we were there and we get to share. So I put together some snippets from his talk. And um, he, yeah, like you said, it's just a wealth of tomato knowledge. He's the tomato king. He, re- he really is, at least in my eyes. Uh, and what's nice is there's so many people out there that have this passion for, for growing, but also just that passion for tomatoes. Um, he gave a great talk, has a, a lot of amazing advice for anybody at any level. Mm-hmm. So whether you're whether this is your first year growing tomatoes or you've done it many, many years and you're just looking to kind of sharpen your claws a little bit, there's plenty to learn from. He's a great guy, very um, passionate <laughs> with tomatoes, but a very humble, approachable sure. person. Um, like I said, he's very accomplished in this in this realm, but he just loves helping people. 
And uh, I think I think our listeners today yeah, are going to realize share they got that. a treat. We got to share that with you guys. So uh, everyone should be trying to grow some kind of tomato in their vegetable garden, right? And it's not quite time to put them in just yet because it's not quite warm we're, enough. We're so getting close. This is the perfect time to start preparing for it, Absolutely. right? Thinking about which varieties you want to grow. And then definitely you should use all of these tips and advice that Brad gives. So let's go ahead and jump into that now. I cut together. Uh, he did an hour-long talk, but I'm going to try to you know give you the best moments, the most useful bits. It's hard to pick, but uh, you know I put something together for you guys. So let's go ahead and listen to that now. This is Brad Gates teaching us all we need to know about growing tomatoes. Here we go. So what I would do is I would take an unusual, like it's really cool. At one time I was the only person, you know, holding say Brad's atomic grape in the world. And you know, one time the uh, pink Berkeley tie-dye became a legend. At one time I was the only person in the world holding this tomato in my hand. So it was a unique F1 hybrid. So then what I would do if it was really good is grow 50 or 100 plants from this the next season and evaluate, see what uh, the different offerings are, so to speak, and then pick the best of the best. And it was evaluating flavor, texture, overall production of the plant, the health of the plant. And what I would do a lot of times, I would have people at the farmer's market were my tomato guinea pigs. And then a lot of the restaurants I was working at, I would trick some of the chefs into coming out in the garden. I'm like, man, you wanna eat all the tomatoes you've ever eaten in a day and help me test some of these new varieties? And they'd all, yeah, this sounds great. And at the end of the day, after tasting 100, 200, 300 variations and picking out the best of the best, they'd kind of look at me like, you tricked me, didn't you? Yeah, but that, that's how I had a lot of help, just trying to find those one plant, pick the best one or two plants, save seeds, grow a bunch the next year, pick the same thing. In the meantime, you might grow out a cross like this and it might show, throw out some amazing different shapes, colors, flavors, cherry tomatoes. And that is, that's how it ended up expanding over time to where I have about, I think 60 or 70 varieties over the years that I've developed. And so this year, Green Acres is gonna carry 17, kind of the best of the best. So um, they're just barely the very first ones. A few varieties came out of the greenhouse, but I believe within a week or two, you're gonna have full stock 17 varieties. Um, and so we kind of picked some of the best of the best. And even the 70 varieties or so I have, that took thousands of var varieties and variants that I personally tested. Sometimes there'd be dozens of pretty good varieties that I would throw on the ground, always looking for the best of the best. Growing a good tomato, really a, the number one step is genetics. Um, you can grow a bad tomato with good genetics. There's ways to screw it up. I'll try to tell you some of those tricks, um, but you can't grow a good tomato with bad genetics. It's always gonna be mediocre at best. Um, a lot of these F1 hybrids, they really focus, they've been around 50-ish years or so, they really focus on production, beauty, and shelf life. And they kind of gave out the two number, the one and number one and number two reasons I eat, that's for flavor and nutrition. So, um, and a, they actually, a person actually told me a while ago, they had some tomatoes tested and mine were showing extra nutrient dense compared to some of the other ones. So when I was actually selecting for the darkest colors and the richest flavors, I was also selecting for more nutrient density too. You know, deep, dark colors and rich flavors, that's all part of the nutrition. So basically there's three main ways to grow tomatoes. One would be in a container, 
One would be in a raised bed and one would be using your native soil. So we'll talk a little bit about container gardening. So I think a 20 gallon is kind of the starting point. You can grow in a five gallon bucket and I've actually been in greenhouses where they were growing in a five gallon bucket that was maybe only this full and the tomato plants were as high as this cover right here, but it was on a very calculated drip of low nutrients. It was basically a hydroponic type system. And this had people looking and watching and monitoring it every day. So if you're around all the time and you don't, you can't screw up one time in months and months, you could grow in a smaller container. I think 20 gallons kind of a starting point in general. That gives you, you could at least water it every day. And even if it's hundred degrees, you're probably gonna not, uh, your plant will still be alive. One of the things to do with a container is take a good quality soil. This is one, not sponsored by them or anything, but this is a good high quality organic potting mix. So I always tell people, look for the, best high quality organic potting mix you can. And it even as good as this is, when you put it in a container in about say two months, it's gonna run out of steam. Some of the water that ran out of the bottom of the container, that's some of your nutrients, the plants eating it up, the air and everything else is eating up a little bit of your nutrients. So you need to spoon feed your plant, especially in a container. If it's not grown optimal in a raised bed or in the ground, you can do this too. But what I'll do is take, like this is a, a good organic liquid fertilizer. So you're mixing like teaspoons to the gallon, so to speak. And I'm not sure about this one, but a lot of them will do like a tablespoon per gallon. I'll use a teaspoon per gallon, which is a 30% ratio. And if I had a container, say I'm watering it four or five, maybe even seven times a week because it's so big and it's got a plant in it. I'll use a low dose fertilizer at least like once a week, put it in a watering can and soak the plant. So you're low dosing, keeping whatever your grow medium is with foods all the time going through. Last thing you wanna do is use that, your plant's growing great for two months. And then while you're not paying attention, it kind of goes into a coma. And that's when it needs to hit the second round and really start growing. So I tell people to like read your plants is a way to do it. Every time I go to the garden or anything, I use that first instinct, like how's that plant looking? And if it's going, yeah, I'm glad it's 100 degrees today, then you're doing everything right. Especially on month two or so, as the plant's really starting to grow, we got 80 something degree weather, it's June, that thing should be unfurling probably at least 12, if not 15 inch long, green, nice green colored leaves and saying to the sun, give me all you got because down here in the root zone, I have all the moisture and nutrients I need so I can handle you. So reading your plants kind of um, important no matter what. So watering in a container, um, I'll go through different watering techniques. In a container, you can't water stress your plants. Um, a lot of times when the, if you got a good sized plant and it's hot, you might be watering every day. You have to keep basically the most even moisture you can is kind of the goal. With a container, one of the things too is when you water, you want a little bit of water going out the bottom. If it didn't go all the way out the bottom, you might have dry pockets on the bottom of your container you're not utilizing. If you got a lot of water running out of the bottom of your container, that's gonna have nutrients with it and stuff and they're gonna be running wherever that water goes to. So you're kind of leaching the nutrients out of where you're growing. In most gardening situations, a dose of organic compost and an amount of like some granulated organic fertilizer is gonna get you all the growth 
that you'll need. And I'm a big fan of organic farming. When I first started out, the guy that I kind of learned from, he would throw down a handful of triple 16 under the drip line and he had mixed results. He honestly had a lot of problems with disease, a lot of problems with bugs. And uh, early on, I went to go see some organic farms. I was trying to learn more stuff and I expected to go to these organic farms and see people running around barefoot with tie-dyes and have weeds growing everywhere and it's a jungle. And I went and wow, these are the most amazing plants I've ever seen. And that's when I learned about feeding your soil. And that is the number one key to successful gardening. I'll bet you anytime you see these certain houses or places you drive by and year after year, even decade after decade, they have a beautiful garden. I almost guarantee they're putting a large amount of organic compost and possibly even some organic fertilizer inputs in there. They're feeding their soil. That is by far the best way to grow over a large amount of time. So one way to maximize your plants, I don't just say this because I sell plants and seeds, but I want you to grow more varieties in the same space. That seems to be the fun with heirlooms. And there's an easy way to quadruple the number of plants you grow in a garden. One of the ways you can do it is, we'll just say these four plants are right here, and this is the tomato cage. Typically, you'd put one plant here, and if you want one variety, that's fine. The healthy plant will easily fill your tomato cage or whatever. If you wanted to do four times the amount of varieties, you could grow four plants. And what you do is you prune each one down to a single lateral. And so it's kind of hard to see in this plant, but uh, the tomato plant's made up of the stem. Then you have the leaves come out and right where that, the crotch of the leaf and the stem is what they call a sucker will come out. And the sucker actually makes up most tomato plants. It goes on in branches and keeps branching. So if you leave the stem and the leaves and then the little flower clusters, which will be obvious, and pinch every sucker on all four of these plants, it will look like one nice tomato plant, but you'll have four varieties growing there. So it can be really good, especially in this area, to add afternoon shade to any plant. And even tomatoes, they, they like warmth, they like some heat, but once it gets over 90, 95, 90, 95 degrees, they'd rather it wasn't that hot. So if you can add some sort of late afternoon shade, whether it's the place you put them and there's a happens to be a tree there, um, you can trellis beans or cucumbers to make a block of that afternoon sun. And you can use shade cloth similar to this. So if you have that effort and energy and what really want to make an ideal area, a framework, metal framework over your garden can be ideal. For one, you could maybe sneak some plants in early now. Then if a hailstorm or a frost comes in a week, two weeks, three weeks, you can put plastic over the top and protect them. Then after the last week of June, when it's gonna be 95 plus every day for the next three months, you put a little bit of shade cloth like this over that and you've also made a more ideal growing climate. So it's a great way to be able to manipulate because no garden area is perfect all the time. More times than not, if you could add a little bit of cool, a little bit of late. And one way to determine most of your growing sun, I'm facing south right now. So most of the growing sun, it's right here right now. Once it's up here, it'll be a little better, but it's most of your growing season, it's coming in at a bit of an angle, but it's really when it gets to the southwest over there. And if you live out here, you know what I mean. It's just, I'm done with you. It's five, six o'clock and it's still penetrating. Like I grew up in the Bay Area, about five o'clock, it'd start to cool down. It starts cooling down about 10 minutes after the sun goes down around here, which I love the evenings, but there's no afternoon relief. So 
you could skip that last two, three hours or something after of the blazing afternoon sun. Your garden will likely thank you. Another way I've created shade in my garden is to put like even flowers, especially sunflowers. Uh, they grow pretty easily and stuff. And if this was say, a growing raised bed. If I put a sunflower here, one here, one here, what I'm doing is making slightly mottled sun, maybe getting rid of 20% of the sun underneath. So I'm making a more ideal growing environment around here. Like I said, this is a, a hot area. Some people in the Bay Area, they'll take all the sun they can get around here. If you can add 20 to 30% reprieve from the sun, I feel is the ideal climate. So watering, what I generally do in a container, you got to keep it nice and the same type, same level of water, basically. Um, in a raised bed, I'll use again, if this was a raised bed, you can vision this is all soil. What, there's a lot of ways to water and they can help you. They have a great selection here and great advice. There's drippers, there's emitters, different things. What you want to do now, while there's nothing, say, in your raised bed before you plant, put your drip tape, whatever it is, your way of watering, turn it on for five minutes, then go out and dig around and see, did it water in this deep? Did it water in this deep? Did it spread out this far? Did it spread out this far? Because your goal would be to make this whole grow environment evenly wet and then all the way to the bottom of, you know, wherever the roots can reach, basically. If you're just watering like from a drip emitter, it might only spread out this far, where if you're in native soil, it might spread out this far. So get in touch with whatever your watering system is early while you can dig around and investigate. In general, both for a raised bed and the ground, it's about twice a week, a nice, good watering. And this goes on for about the first two or three months. And what I try to do is build the factory, the tomato factory. Uh, you want that plant to have good roots. You get some drying off, so it's reaching down. But if it comes August and you got roots this long down in the, in the ground and everything's going right, and you have a nice, however tall tomato plant, they have potential to grow. And then you see the very first ripe fruit on the bottom. This is when, if I was in a raised bed, I would back off about 20 or 30% on my watering in general. And if you have nice, deep established plants in the ground, you can almost go to half as much watering as what you're doing. So if you have any cracking, splitting, mealiness in your tomatoes, that's almost always over watering. I let them work for it towards the end, right? Say right after I start picking ripe fruit. And when I did market gardening, I did a lot of succession growing. And yeah, I would really back off to even the tomato plants, half the amount of water, but then they had to really work for it. They were slightly smaller. Instead of being this big, they're this big, but no cracks, no splits, super dense, amazing flavor. So if you can get to a little bit of water restriction during harvest, you're gonna maximize your potential. And you don't ever wanna do it to where your plant droops. That's actually, you've gone too far at that point. You just want it to work for the moisture. You don't want it to just be laying abundant. Staking and caging of tomatoes, almost all situations, they do better if they're brought up off the ground. If you're able to leave them on the ground and water them through the summer and pick a bunch of tomatoes, go ahead and keep doing that. It doesn't work for most people. And what happens, usually the tomato plant will grow up. It'll be kind of a nice bush. And then some of these tomatoes start to ripen and it'll really just open up the tomato plant. And this is perfect timing because they just had a weather forecast of 102 for the next three days. And all your green tomatoes are gonna get hit by sun and they're gonna be gone before you get to eat them. So by keeping some plant foliage above your ripe fruit, shading them all or most of the day is good insurance around here. Also a lot of the the roly polies, the, you know, the sow bugs, the earwigs, all the everything that wants tomatoes will find them 
very easily if they're laying right on the ground. So that's another reason to try to keep the tomato plant up. The general planting method, it's a little hard to see, it's a little small, but whether my plant was this big or this big, I would plant, I would bury about 20 or 30% of the plant underneath the ground. I would also pinch any foliage that's gonna get buried underneath the ground. There's no reason for that to be in there. And there's a few reasons for doing that. This potting mix that these plants come in is pretty light and it dries out fairly quickly. So by covering that by an inch, two, three inches of the ground that you're gonna be planting them in, that'll keep that from drying out quite so much. Also, if this was a tall plant and the wind was blowing like it's gonna be blown because we're still not even to spring yet, this could snap over and wherever soil touches the stem, it's gonna grow new roots. So you're gonna make it stockier and uh, you're gonna create an even new root zone for that. So pinch off whatever's gonna go below the soil, plant about 20 or 30% of the original plant. I've seen lots of things where people will take a big plant, only leave the tip. Early in the season especially, I wouldn't recommend that because when you get early warmth in your soil, it's gonna be down maybe six inches. You don't wanna be sticking your root ball down a foot or two where it's gonna be extra cold. I've seen them put diagonally. I've seen all different methods, but I've seen 16 foot tall plants grown by planting a third of the plant, pinching the bottom and have them in very good soil. So I don't see how it could be any, any better results than that. The next thing I do is I would let this plant grow say about a month and hopefully if everything's going good, now it's about this tall. What I like to do is pinch the bottom four to six suckers. And the sucker is gonna come out, right? You have the stem, you have the leaf coming out and right in the crotch there is where the little sucker comes out. And that's indeterminate growth. Eventually this is gonna make up your plant, but down low you don't really want it because if I planted this plant and uh, let it go, some of these suckers are gonna come out at ground level and by the time they get here, they might have branched 10 times and then the branches of the branches are gonna branch and then you're gonna be growing one of them ugly tumbleweeds instead of a nice cypress tree. So uh, pinching the bottom four to six and allowing the rest of the plant to grow up is always been the, the best conditions or the nicest plants through the season that I've seen. Um, some people don't prune. If you haven't pruned, you had great luck. I say keep repeating what you're doing. There's definitely a lot of ways to do it, but in general, by taking those bottom ones off, uh, that's gonna improve any plant. Quick little thing for uh, local food. Always try to grow your own, support local nurseries. It's great. Look at the awesome selection that's available to us right now because you guys all support this nursery. And if you can't grow it yourself, try to buy it from somebody local. Um, it's super, it's amazingly economically important besides other things to your community. And I always use the $2 a day, so petty. Actually, if everybody here spent $2 a day on Sacramento County grown food, um, there's a million and a half people in Sacramento County and that at $2 a day is $3 million a day going into our local economy. Everybody's eating healthier. Some people are able to work on a farm and make a decent living maybe. And then times 365 days, uh, that's over a billion dollars a year going into Sacramento County. And if you wanted a real farm, I've never been able to reach this, but I thought realistically, if you're a nice little farm, you need to gross a quarter million bucks. Equipment ain't cheap. You could actually pay your uh, employees a decent wage and everything. So let's just say a quarter million dollars is a good wage. So if you broke that up, that billion dollars times a quarter million dollars, that's 438 farms you would have to shop from in Sacramento County 
And it'd be kind of distracting on the way home trying to figure out where you're gonna get your produce, but it sure be nice to have a, a fraction of that. You know, this is a ultimate, a lot of great soil, water resources and climate and stuff. So eat local when you can. In other words, it's grown in some other place. It comes, it ricochets right out of your county with local, buying local, that money sit there and ricocheting right around in your, in your, in your local area. So my two cents on that. So this year, Green Acre is gonna carry 17 varieties. I brought pictures of a few. Berry's Crazy Cherry, if you haven't ever grown it, you should. This cluster was grown in Fair Oaks last year and it had over 350 tomatoes on one cluster. This is a little exceptional, but it constantly with good soil will throw out clusters like this. Blue Beauty and Black Beauty, two great anthocyanin varieties. Uh, they're gonna have both of those. Brad's Atomic Grape, great all around. I've seen this one grow a half mile from the coast in the fog. I've seen pictures, people sent it to me from Seattle and people sent me pictures from 7,000 feet up in the Rockies in Colorado with growing this variety. So not only have great taste, great durability, it has pretty good survival rate overall. Um, some of the big beef steaks, solar flare. If you can't get over, I gotta have a red beef steak tomato. This one does have flashy gold stripes, but some people just don't get the same satisfaction from a red tomato. Maybe they'll get over it soon, I don't know. Pink Berkeley tie-dye, an excellent, excellent variety. This was my most popular variety for plants and seeds for quite a few years. Pineapple pig and sweet cream, you got different shapes, sizes. Don't tell Superman, but you'll be growing kryptonite in your garden this year. Super beautiful, durable, and it has such a amazing flavor. And when you make a tomato salad or something, it has just a great contrast. Blue Boarberry is another super cool one. And if you grow this one, let them get super, super ripe. Don't eat them when they're half ripe. It'll get you excited. They'll have a purple color when they're green because it's got anthocyanin. You've been looking at it for months. That one will oh, turn a little bit of color and you'll eat it and it won't taste that good. Then you forget about it for about a week or two and you go, wow, they got really dark color now and it's like a whole new world. So just like a fine bottle of wine, you can't enjoy it before it's time. Um, they're carrying a couple varieties of miniature um, patio style tomatoes. This is an example of one with all the leaves cut off. So if you've ever seen a tomato that can put out more fruit per square inch with less resources, that's about maximizing it out. So they're actually carrying a couple of varieties of small patio tomatoes. There's been some in the past. Most of them are a lot like hybrids. They produce round red tasteless tomatoes that don't get me excited. Uh, some of these were crosses with Brad's Atomic Grape. And so it was a, a way to have a small plant that's productive with actually some gourmet fruit on it too. So they do great in any garden space, but if you're stuck in a small space or growing in containers, they'll probably be exceptional for you. All right, we are back. And uh, thank you so much, Brad. Now, Kevin, I want to just uh, check in with you because you've got a big tomato-y smile on your face right now. My cheeks um, are red. <laughs> um, I like that he's a fan of tomatoes, but I really love that he's a fan of supporting people. I think that's what it's all about, supporting the people yeah. that, that are going to enjoy these this produce, uh, these fruits. Um it's, it's really cool. Uh, he's a great person to learn from, and I just really appreciated his time. Totally, totally agree. All right. And, and now I'm, I'm fired up. <laughs> I'm fired up, too, about tomatoes. I'm, I already started prepping my backyard. I'm going to do two containers dedicated to tomato. I, I don't know if I'll put multiple in each one. You've got to get at least one wild boar in there. I'm going to try for the pink Berkeley tie-dye. Oh, I got my dude. eye set on that. It's, so an, it's an all-star of I'll a tomato. If, if so I can good. get that in there, and then a uh, sun gold you know, and call it a day. That's but my other favorite. That's what yep. I'm going for. And uh, that's all the time we have for this week. 
big thank you to Brad Gates and all the tomatoes from Wild Boar Farms are just the coolest things ever. So um, I hope you guys are feeling inspired and wanting to grow tomatoes and go for it this year. Uh, Kevin, go ahead and take us out. Well, thank you so much to our guest, Brad Gates, the wild boar himself of Wild Boar Farms. Uh, check him out. Um, he sells seeds online, uh, shirts and hats and all that good kind of merch. And he's just a good person to reach out to. I think you can find him on Instagram and all the other uh, usual locations. But until then, Garden Friends, I mean, the time just flies when we're talking plants, Austin. Oh, yeah. Uh, we have a great, wonderful episode that I'm really excited about next week because, I mean, things are warming up pretty quick. We're swinging into spring. And so next week, we're going to be talking all about the March madness Woo. that is coming towards us. And so I'm fired up for that. So please come back next week, Garden Friends. Thank you all for being here. We appreciate it. And until then, get out in your gardens, touch some grass, go get grounded a little bit, and plan out your tomato garden this year. Have fun, friends. We'll see you next week. Happy gardening to you all. And Austin? Never stop growing. There you go. You heard it. See you later, folks. <laughs> all right. Spiced it up a little bit. A little spice. I wanted to ask him, be like, hey, are you going to like, make a spicy tomato? Is that possible? Ooh, a spicy tomato? Yeah. Are they related enough? They are related. They're, uh, they're both salanums. They're both nightshades, but I don't know. I don't know if it has the cat.